Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I've got another episode uh, in our series of interviewing security leaders and where they come from and how they end up where they are and what did they, uh, what decisions do they make along the way. And uh, I've got uh, another great guest, uh, David Hatchell, who is uh, currently the founder and principal of Industrial Cyber Secure, a consultancy that he developed. But he's also about soon going to announce CEO of a company that will be more reveal in the weeks to come, uh, dedicated to cybersecurity for the OT space. And so we're excited about that. Uh, David, if you don't know him, he's uh, he's a father. He is a leader in the industry uh, for, for many years. He's also, though, a singer and a chef. He's even a frustrated runner and has a background in the music industry, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about a little bit. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks, Derek. Great to be here. Great to reconnect again. Really excited uh, for, for your mission and your audience here to kind of chat and share some of my experiences. Well, awesome. Yeah, it is great to be reconnected. Uh, you're you're still living in the Bay Area, one of my favorite places that I ever lived and uh, never thought I would move away from. But hey, adventures and opportunities yeah. and things come along. And uh, I'm now uh, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, but uh, my heart still dwells sometimes uh, where, you, where you live. So that's <laughs> so a great place to be as long as it's not 100 degrees and no air conditioning. So that's yeah. the only downfall we have today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think a place we ever had in California had air conditioning, even as an option. I mean, the buildings, the houses didn't even have them. So. Okay, well let's let's dive in. Um, you know, I always sort of uh, I have my shtick. I start these things, seeing the same, you know, start these sessions a lot a lot of times the same way. Cybersecurity people are modern day superheroes, and all superheroes have a backstory. And so, uh, where where does David, uh, you know, where where do you come from? So I come from a very small town in East Texas, uh, kind of in between Dallas and Shreveport, Louisiana. So a uh, little town called Tyler, Texas. We're kind of known for football and, and hot links and. And good barbecue, so <laughs> so a great place to be from. Awesome, awesome. Um, so I'm always curious as people's journeys today. With you know, if you look at the convergence of a career path, uh, you know, IT and OT, you know, when those things come into play, and engineering backgrounds, and IT backgrounds, and business backgrounds, and all this blend of things. So let's go all the way back. Then any sort of um, introduction uh, or interest with technology, uh, you know, before before high school graduation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we were some of the, the first people on the block to get the original IBM PC computer back in the day. And so had the ability to get in computer programming at a very early age, but also uh, interested in music technology. I built my own synthesizer from scratch. And so uh, <clears throat> really enjoyed the intersection of technology and music as well, which I'll, I'll talk about in the, uh, later in the show. Uh, yeah, we're definitely going to talk about music industry and see where that comes in. So and maybe that's part of what's next. I don't know how. Yeah, I think that's earlier in your career path. Um, so what uh, what do you decide to do? You know, oh well, actually, I always am curious too when people start doing any kind of work. What was your introduction to to work uh, as a young person? Well, my introduction to work was honestly being a chef. Was kind of realizing, you know, as a teenage boy, I loved food so much, and I didn't get enough food at home, so I had to figure out how to go cook it so I could eat it, eat enough to survive. And so, you know, when you find the, find your passion in life, and one of my huge passions has been food, and and you know, cooking and creation of something. I think that was a common motif. And you know, anytime uh, you kind of enjoy doing something and going after it, said I want to, I want to do this and win. You know, was kind of the first instantiation for me of something I really wanted to go at. So, uh, and still do, <laughs> still want to get better. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's awesome. Uh, that may come up again because there's another question later about uh, other careers you might have wanted to do. Uh, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about school. Um, or is there anything between high school and college, or do you go do you go directly there? 
Yeah, I went, went, went straight to school, TCU. Sorry, we were already my alma mater shirt here. So I went uh, full journey from Tyler to, to Fort Worth. So um, yeah, I did, did, got my degree in uh, English and history uh, as well, a little bit of a business background as well. So a great place to be and you know, stayed in Texas for a few more years and then uh, moved to California about 25 years ago. All right, and so let's let's sort of start down the the, the career path. Is this where the music industry uh, kicks in? <laughs> well, it kind of kind of came later in life. Uh, I was really fortunate when I was at TCU that um, we had an interlocking board directorate with um, Tandy, um, you know, Radio Shack at the time. For those of you who kind of remember that, and so um, Tandy helped pave my way through the last two years of college, but also gave me the opportunity to work at. Uh, in the computer business. <laughs> and so my, my father gave me some wise advice back in the day, which is, you know, after three generations of our family were attorneys, he kind of looked at me and says, you know, David, do something you love, right? You're into computers, you're into this, you, go do this, go, don't go be an attorney. And it was wise advice. <laughs> so I, it gave me the ability to kind of pursue my passion in, in computers and, and never look back. All right. So uh, what was, what was first? Well, it was starting out really in the computer retail industry, right? Kind of at the time, you know, Dallas was the big mecca for computer retail between CompUSA, Computer City, et cetera. And so I was working with retailers. You know, uh, firstly, I was an associate buyer. I was kind of buying the technology. Then I went over to the other side to sell the technology and understand, you know, the manufacturer side of the house. And so, you know, kind of did that to retail in Texas and then, you know, moved to California to do the same thing, wound up at a company. Uh, called Diamond Multimedia, where we did uh, video cards, modems, and uh, really fascinating story. I sold the very first MP3 player that ever existed. And so that was a real, you know, so the intersection of technology and music came back in this yeah. incredible journey where our company had gone and bought a company out of Korea that had developed the first MP3 player. And so you were in a sales meeting to figure out what to do with it. And I went to my friend and said, hey, will you go buy this thing? <laughs> and he did. And so I, my claim to fame is I did the first MP3 player deal that ever existed. So, so, so do, you think, do you think those are going to catch on a, a portable music device with all your songs you could ever want to listen in your pocket? That sounds a little, little far fetched. <laughs> At the time it was. And, it, and I think that's yeah. like the whole thing. Of, uh, there's a lot of things we've done in ICS that have been fairly far fetched. But, you know, when you have a cool product and you have a dream, you can do, you can do anything. And so uh, that was something I was passionate about at the time was like, yeah, I was the one who kind of understood the product and understood its potential and, you know, kind of activated myself to, to go do it. So, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. So I, I know somewhere early in here, security uh, intersects, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, 20, over 20 years ago. Um, and I don't know if there was security before going to Intel. Is there anything, is there a chapter before that or is that where that, that journey starts? Well, so, so after uh, after leaving the, you know, the the hardware business, I kind of got into computer security going back, I believe it's 1999. And so I kind of started on the computer, the retail side of the business, right? Working with the Walmarts and Costco's and then shifted over to the enterprise uh, journey as, you know, network associate this is the time became, turned itself into McAfee. And so, you know, the halcyon days, the early security companies with us and Symantec and RSA and so forth, we go to RSA security conference and you'd be sitting there at a tabletop talking maybe five people. <laughs> it was really, really fun time. So that's what got my, my start in security. And then, you know, over the, over that time, I really started, kind of started regressing and like, you know, going into after specific vertical problems. And so, you know, what's a telco problem? How do we need to solve that? And so that led, that led me to my journey in, in industrial security going back about uh, 13 years ago. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny you should say sort of what it was like. I started my first cybersecurity company, uh, co-founded in 1997. So, you know, it's sort of that same, yeah. same era, uh, for sure. And I think the whole industry, I remember in 1997, it was a billion dollars, uh, you know, in sort of annual spend on, on information yeah. security, as it was then called. You know, for the first time, that was like a billion dollars. Um, and now, you know, it's kind of kind of laughable when we think about it. Okay, so uh, you're cutting your teeth on traditional cybersecurity. You're at some of the formative companies uh, working on traditional information security, as it was then called, uh, and, and some story names. I mean, Intel and, and CA and uh, Belden are working on, you know, with, with Tripwire uh, technology, for, you know, ProtectWise, Forcepoint, CrowdStrike. Not to jump through all that, somewhere in that journey, uh, you go from just the information security sort of heritage and IoT or industrial or control systems, all those things sort of yeah. start to converge in your path. And I think that's always something interesting. We talk about people's backgrounds in this industry. Do they come from, you know, were the engineers and then they augment later with some cybersecurity, you know, that starts yeah. becoming part of their path? Or are they cybersecurity people that learn operational technology? And the truth, of course, is the workforce yeah. has both. Uh, but you're coming up through the traditional cybersecurity industry and then you start adding this sort of other area can you just sort of describe how that comes about yeah absolutely. really good question as i said like where i was going for in cybersecurity was the depth of understanding of kind of the customer and vertical problem right so how does security apply in these different vertical areas so you go into telco it's a very different model it is in traditional enterprise security because you've got an operational network that's behind it you know, that you kind of need to kind of protect. And then you need to offer services on top of that network to your consumer and your business customers. And so there's a big e ecosystem challenge there. So I became kind of fascinated by that problem. And so what got me into ICS security was, was really funny. The, um, I came back to McAfee uh, at the time. Our CEO at the time had uh, been to the Davos World Economic Forum and had been convinced that, hey, there's an opportunity to put, you know, some endpoint device on a smart meter and it's going to be billions of devices. <laughs> and so like many things to, to really kind of hone in on what the problem is in this space. And, you know, that kind of led me into, you know, as we got acquired by Intel and seeing get kind of a, a much broader lens of things, it led me to the ICS problem, right? Which essentially, how do we, how does Intel itself protect their own factories? And so, you know, that, it's a very different problem. And essentially this is, you know, kind of pre-Stuxnet in that era. And so I kind of define the problem. This is the space we want to go after. It's a big greenfield space, lots of verticals, <laughs> lots of different regulations and complexities, you know, emerging technologies that need to kind of be developed. But that got me started on the journey and just you know, to be passionate about it and, and to obviously then have the, the world events we did between, you know, Stuxnet and uh, we were there at, at the time at McAfee, we had an attack, which we kind of released uh, in terms of the, you know, public awareness called Night Dragon, which was one of the first exfiltrations of oil and gas companies from, from data, you know, mining companies, et cetera, you know, by the threat actors. And so at the time, we we're going through this threat actor problem of kind of like we wouldn't want to go identify somebody, but then now obviously we think it's so easy just to name Russia or China or North Korea, right? You know, very simply, at that time, we couldn't, right? We're having difficulty doing that. But we needed to be able to kind of call out some of those actors for what they were doing at the time. So it was a very interesting time where we, we found some really interesting intelligence. Um, the market was kind of in, in the beginning of the journey in ICS. And that's, that's what really got, start, get, got me started on the journey. And I know uh, just from reading some materials and talking to you, you know, that you get suddenly there, you're talking to Siemens and Honeywell and Emerson, Yokogawa and all the 
these you know major manufacturing you know OEM equipment brands where people ask this I think this is relevant how did you start to gain the knowledge you needed to speak in this subsector of cybersecurity because there's yeah. plenty of IT cyber people that would like to get there are you know quite a few that approach you know come to some of our events and approach us and say how do I get into this part of the industry and so they know maybe IT and cyber quite well but they don't know anything about resiliency and safety and all the stuff yeah. that's operational. Yeah. So what did you do at the time? And you know, today there's more resources available. But what did you do then? And maybe what would you recommend somebody do today if they come from that IT, you know, centric background? Yeah. It, it, it's a it's a really good question. At the time, I mean, I think some of it is, you know, <laughs> at the time, the natural empathy and a natural understanding of a customer problem. And I remember very distinctly sitting down with a, a gentleman from Chevron, you know, going back in 2011. It was like, you know, this is my problem. Why you want to bring my IT security solutions in there? I don't buy from you. I buy from Honeywell, Emerson, Yokogawa. And so then, you know, I spent a lot of time, honestly, with Honeywell, Emerson, Yokogawa, Siemens, ADB, really understanding how they sell the customers. How, you know, obviously, during the time post-Stuxnet, there's a lot of mud being thrown at them of, like, the zero-decade vulnerabilities and the challenges they had in dealing with their customers. And, and so it's really in the same way it was developing empathy between IT and OT. It was an empathy of their business model and how they operate and the trust they had with their customers. And it's just very different from the way we thought about in IT. And, and so I was very fortunate uh, you know, to build some major strategic partnerships you know, with you know, the head of Siemens, <laughs> head of Honeywell, et cetera, which led me to understand a lot of their, you know, their customer life cycle and, and the, the empathy and appreciation for that. So it's a big journey. And, and certainly, I think if this, was at a, this was at a time where Essentially, everything had to be validated <laughs> and certified by these manufacturers. And so now I think because security technology is a little more advanced and you know, we do have solutions that are out there, we have, do have a need which is more prescriptive and defined through compliance and standards, the security vendors, uh, excuse me, the automation vendors rather, have done a really good job of adapting you know, their portfolios to aggressive security technologies. But still, I think to your point, Derek, you know, the understanding of that different background <laughs> and in roles that you don't have from your own experience is, is critical. And yeah, so I like think it. you know, it's the whole thing of where we started on the IT security journey, right? Like you know, if, you, if you don't have the chance to go walk through a plant with a process engineer and understand how that plant operates, understand their concerns, then, you know, you haven't really earned the right to be there. And, and, and essentially, in this day and age, we're able to teach and mentor a lot more and get that skill set ramped much faster. But um, it was something that was uh, a, a lot of study and a lot of learning and a lot of, I think, is the, the character of who we are as people, that if you have that understanding and ability to put yourself in somebody's shoes, you know, I came from a little bit from a business background and... <laughs> And as we joked about a little before, I'm the Bachelor of Arts person who has the understanding, but I also needed to understand the engineering background really well in terms of what drove them to you know, make the decisions they make as well. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I like the word used empathy. You know, if I trying to put someone else's hat on, try to step in their shoes, we could use more of that, which is, and, and you know, I love it. We'll, we'll go walk the plant floor. Not everybody gets to do that, but but you'd be surprised if you start to seek out opportunities for exposure, people can get it. And they can get yeah. what you're talking about, uh, at least to some degree, um, you know, and, and gain that empathy, that understanding. Like, okay, my perspective is not enough, especially if you come from one particular discipline. Getting that cross-discipline empathy, you know, I, I love it. Makes makes total sense. 
so what let's let's talk about moving on uh to uh to Belden and uh the storied uh, acquirer of Tofino one of the earliest products uh you know Eric Byers has told me that it's, it wasn't the yeah. very first product as I claimed once I was like you had to be the very first product it wasn't the very first but it was one of the very first products specific to uh, OT or ICS related cybersecurity so what would how would you characterize your uh, your tenure at uh at Belden well, it was really fascinating because I was brought in. Obviously, I had a long relationship with with Defino and Eric, Eric as well as, as we mentioned, one of the great pioneers in the industry. And so I had a lot of respect for the product. And back to where we're talking about the empathy and understanding, right? A lot of times we kind of look at a solution like Defino and say, "Hey, this is a really simple device. It functions like an engineer would expect it to function." But from an IT security perspective, this technology looks like, well, hey, it's not doing all these flashbang <laughs> things, but it, like what it did, it did really well. And so when when Belden acquired Tripwire, um, CEO Tripwire brought me in to kind of run the integration between you know the Tripwire portion. And Tripwire had a, a great presence, obviously, in the compliance end of North American utilities through NERCSIP, right? So we think of configuration and change management as a cornerstone of the compliance process in NERCSIP. And so combining that with Defino and with Hirschman, obviously a real trusted name through the, the network and switching route through through the AEDs, Gs, and so forth. It was a fascinating time to construct an industrial security portfolio and really just focus on the business plan, like where, where do we want to take this? What, what verticals can we take Tripwire in that might be relevant? And then where can we extend you know, the Tofino's and Hirschman's within the, the Tripwire customer base on the IT side? So it's really kind of one of the first mashups, shall we say, of an IT and OT security company, similar to Industrial Defender in, in terms of kind of some of what they went through. So it's a fascinating time, but what I kind of really learned is just the ability to build kind of an algorithm or a formula for how we attack these vertical markets. And, and just really think through, you know, how does, you know, what roles automation manufacturer want to have in the sale? What is the channel that we can kind of access? What is the customer trying to do from, you know, the standards in, in compliance set? Are they adopting 6443? Is that a driver? Is that? It's all the different things that come to that as far as how we target these markets. And, and honestly, I think as Derek, you and I have talked about in the past, right? In the earlier days of the market, we really had to go create something. <laughs> and like you could build the best technology. But yet, you know, getting those markets and, and crossing those barriers between verticals was really hard. Yeah. And you come out of uh, your background and could go from utility into oil and gas was really difficult. You could find, great, I can explain configuration and change management to a plant person or an operator and just put it in their terms and they'll understand why the need for deviation from change is important. Well, that's, you know, that sounds good, but in practical application from a technology perspective, it was a little difficult. And so, so you know, we did some things to, to kind of remedy that. But in the early days of the, the market before, you know, the, the halcyon visibility as we've been in now for the past five years, you know, it was, it was a different time. And essentially, you had to have a very solid business plan and formula for how you wanted to approach the market and how you measure success uh, to warrant the, the future product investment that you would hope to get uh, to con yeah. continue further. Yeah, I know well very well what you just described personally. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, it, it is interesting. The time period we're in now was what uh, you know. I know what some of us were not only predicting but betting on. You know, six, seven years ago would be where the market would go between 2010 and 2000. You know, 15. It's really only now, um, sort of becoming yeah. the, the case where there's 
a wider understanding, more C-level discussions, more board-level understanding, more practitioners right. that can talk in terms of risk and not the latest product with features and functions that a you know board-level yeah. person or C-level report report might not want to even get into. But how are we mitigating risk? What kind of risk is it? How are we measuring risk? All these sorts of more mature approaches to you know to the area, and that stuff's all starting to 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 catch on. Um, and and budgets are on the increase. Our annual report shows that they're continuing to grow, which makes sense because all this stuff is maturing. Attack surfaces are multiplying, but uh, but understanding is growing, and understanding with uh, you know decision makers, which is where in the end of the day then the needle gets moved. Exactly. I mean, just the, the amount. Uh, it, I think it used to be honestly pretty easy to kind of keep up with. The different standards, the different regulations, the different verticals, and all the different kind of activity, and being able to understand that now it's exploited so much more into these uh, vertical areas and vertical problem solving <laughs> that it is it is is great. I mean, ultimately, this is a unique set of vertical problems in in how you apply your your technology to them, as well as the people in the process that they need to be they need to be accounted for. And uh, so it's really uh, it's fascinating to watch the explosion. You know, in this industry, and to go to S4 and to see, you know, three times the number of attendees that were from the prior year and reconnect with people. So, yeah, and it's a wonderful time in our business. Great opportunity for people to enter, right? And essentially, there's so much more training available now, and you know, as your organization's doing, and you know, all the lessons I think that you and I have kind of learned the hard way, <laughs> we're able to kind of you know, articulate, uh, you know, to, to people to make this an easier path for them. Yeah, it's it's I I agree with you. I think it's an amazing opportunity space. Um, recent graduates and student groups and people that uh, either approach us at CSA or, or I talk to some of these groups, it's sort of all the same thing. And I tell them, I was like, it's rosy, and there's no end in sight. Or we're we're not trying to solve a fixed problem. We're trying to solve a problem that is getting larger in scope while we're trying to fix it. So there's there's career uh, longevity. Uh, you know, we've got some positions that aren't even full today. Many. I mean, depending on whose report you read, you know, it could be a, a huge number of open or vacant positions. I know many, you know, hiring managers reporting positions open way too long because they're having trouble filling it. So for, as far as a career, it's it's an excellent opportunity and you can come from different backgrounds. Yeah. You just have to start to augment whatever your primary knowledge space and experience space is with some other stuff because it is it's a fusion space. You need to know you need to know to be really. I mean, people call it, uh, you know, a unicorn. Somebody who truly understands the different disciplines involved here. And I was on the phone with another hiring manager this week. And he said, "No, we're really having trouble filling these positions. We're calling them purple unicorns. Unicorn is not rare enough." So, <laughs> but that's that's a problem. It's a blessing and a curse, right? That's a problem as a hiring manager. That's a problem for our society to have a a a, a workspace that's not fully, you know, fully filled. But it's a huge positive and opportunity for someone as far as employment and uh, exciting upward mobility. Exactly. Exactly. And, well, and I think is we kind of thought, you know, ten years ago, we thought, okay, this is going to be kind of quote the aging out of the automation workforce that you know all the things that we were afraid of in terms of the people weren't as a career path going to pick up this this discipline anymore. And I feel that security has made people kind of come back to automation to say, look, I'd like to <laughs> I like to understand both. I need to understand both. And all the all the fears that the giant companies have, like that they couldn't make themselves attractive as a company, you know, the big oil and gas companies or wherever, you know, because of kind of the combination of security, the combination of climate change and some of the change in their business models as companies has made, you know, this once unattractive, <laughs> you know, a, a job offer seem very attractive in terms of the opportunities it presents to people. So I'm, I'm excited about the security side, but I'm also excited about it where we see on the automation side as well. 
yeah. you know, from, yeah. from those opportunities. Yeah, I love that. That's an, a, sort of an optimistic viewpoint around infusion of, of, of new people in a space yeah. that we were worried. I remember 10 years ago, the predictions, like here's so many people are going to leave the workforce in the engineering operational technology area and all their working knowledge is going to leave. It's true. We do need to be you know, adding enthusiastic individuals to, to, the, to the workspace. Completely. I know that at your tenure at things, uh, the companies, the you know, ProtectWise, ForcePoint, like IoT and IoT are, are, are sprinkled throughout your biography. You know, why don't you define for everybody? I think some people are wrestling with that. They go, IoT, I've heard of that, but that's still maybe narrowly defined in their mind as like wearables and things that consumers get that are IoT. And right. we know there's a ton of commercial, in fact, more adoption of commercial IoT things than the consumer IoT things. And then IoT comes along. I thought it might be useful since that, you know, that's something you've had quite a bit of exposure to, how you differentiate those, explain those, and, and how they fit within the operating technology space. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question because the um, in the early days in, in McAfee, when, when I was there, uh, obviously Intel being a chip maker, right? Intel had acquired us and they were saying, hey, look, there's this IoT market opportunity, an explosion of new devices and new chips we can kind of sell. And, and so working with the Intel team to say, how do we mutually define our individual problems and market segments kind of before their, before their time, right? Essentially it was almost no IoT market other <laughs> than really tough levels. You know, there was certainly very little IoT market, which essentially the vertical application of a solution, you know, to a predictive maintenance application that Siemens was offering, right? So we, in IoT, we think of like a very vertical problem in the same way that we think of ICS as a vertical problem of <laughs> you're introducing common technologies and common nomenclatures like Purdue models to kind of describe concepts that then we implement in vertical manners. And so the, the problem application set was similar and essentially this its own translation language you had to kind of build between us between Mac and Intel was like, hey, like I'm talking about a security problem that will enable your sale. And so you know, if we can't solve some of the, the, the brownfield ICS problems, it's gonna be really difficult for customers to you know, build that corresponding data network you know, on top of Purdue model to let those IoT data data gateways get in to let to have cloud enabled data. So um, I remember the you know the head of Siemens you know sitting down and having this discussion of how they view their ability, this is back in 2012, 2013, you know, their desire to have security-based services is tantamount to their own ability to do predictive maintenance services, right? They view the, the they view that world as one and the same and the enablement of, of the IC solving the ICS column that was going to enable that that future. And uh, so, so I spent a lot of time just kind of thinking through that. Um, I think we made some progress, and obviously, the the, the IC the IoT adoption is a little bit then a little bit slower. You know, you've got kind of different stakeholders in the mix, which are starting to converge between a CEO that's responsible for digital transformation, that's also held accountable for his, by his board for you know the latest ransomware attacks. So some of those problems and thought processes are. It's kind of started to converge, but largely I still feel there's somewhat different worlds uh, today. And essentially the, the bridge needs to be built a little bit more. And so I think just architecturally, as, as we look at things in, you know, you look at how the automation vendors right now are looking at this space and saying, you know, our future is going to be somewhat dependent on our ability to offer a service to our customers, right? So, you know, GE, uh, for example, who kind of went out and you know, made a big billion dollar bet on Predix and, you know, other automation vendors who just said, look, we want to kind of have a service-based model similar to what GE was trying to do so we can convert our sales from a capital sale into an annual recurring revenue sale. 
And Rock will say, great, I want 20% of my business in, by 2024 to be you know, ARR. Huge shift in how the automation vendors are thinking through things in which a service model is critical. And so security is that key, key enablement of that business model for them that uh, we're going to start tying together more. I love so, what you uh, here, which is security as revenue. It's yeah. That's not a that's not a very that's not a concept that's been around very long. It's usually been regarded and and threatening to many stakeholders as a cost only area. And so reason we haven't done X, Y, or Z is because our customers haven't demanded and it's expensive yeah. and it would add a lot of money. You don't hear people really. I mean, even even privately, I don't hear people saying that as much. And you're what you're talking about is boy, man, maybe, maybe security can be positive for our business, uh, you know, to some degree. There is, it is a cost center or some aspects of it are going to be a cost center. There's no question, you just, you know, we're wedded to it. But that's exciting to think about in terms of some companies coming around that corner and saying, yeah, but some of this can be also good for our business. Well, it, it should be. It's just a matter of like, it, you know, who do you want managing your customers, right? Is it, you know, the automation vendor is saying, look, I'm okay with the Ernst & Young or, uh, you know, Accenture or, uh, you know, NGD, Domo, whatever it is, right? Essentially, there's there's a lot of Amazon, right? There's a lot of people playing in this space is yeah. IoT companies and integrators where the automation vendors are trying to figure out kind of where the, where their space is. And it's been really hard for them to get the sustainable security programs off the ground to, to kind of manage, you know, the customer's environment. And so it's, it, it's a lot of, you know, vision and fortitude necessary to do it. And so I think it still remains to be seen you know, customers are obviously going to whatever the, <laughs> the the quickest option is sometimes of who's kind of managing their plant operations to solve the people problem. And I, I think it's something that, you know, we still need to improve upon. Um, but I think the automation vendor stakeholders are, are still a key part of this. Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit uh, to the degree that you can. Um, and I think we'll, we'll go back and sort of ask some questions about the journey but let's let's end up where you are now. You um, are embarking on something exciting. I know that some of the details of that are are uh, about to be forthcoming or will be this year. But you're gonna you're gonna helm a, a startup and or or an early stage company in the space. Yeah, no, it, it's been interesting. Uh, I'm really excited to do this. And over the past you know, few years, I've been kind of tackling, doing, kind of thinking through some of the harder problems in the space. And you know, cloud security was one. Cloud ICS security was one of those where to Company called ProtectWise, that kind of led the charge. We had an oil and gas super major that we had to go deploy to 150 plants um, within the first year. So I thought about like what that model would be from a cloud perspective and how we make that technology work. Went to CrowdStrike and most recently looked at how we do endpoint in the space, right? Another challenging problem of how we bring back a technology that adds more visibility and adds more control, you know, in the ICS space than we kind of thought of the past, but still has been a kind of ecosystem challenge of how, once again, the intersection with the automation vendors and, you know, don't impact availability, all those types of things. I've been kind of looking for technology for some, for some time that kind of is, you know, allows us to go solve a problem, which is still a challenge out there. And that problem is really looking at how we kind of encrypt and shield the kind of level two and layer two problem, right? So we kind of think of, you know, the, the space of we're doing a really good job of kind of visibility detection and response. I think the protection aspect is something we still need to improve upon, uh, you know, as an industry. And, you know, obviously so much of this problem are people and process problem <laughs> of, the, you know, the automation vendors, the, the, the people in the plants not affecting availability, et cetera. But there does need to be a different technological approach of how we go with this. And essentially the problem I'm kind of going after is this kind of encryption problem with the, at this level. 
And so it's a company out of a new region. Uh, <laughs> that we, we, we think of uh, the, the traditional areas in ICS, you know, the, the, all the wonderful people at uh, IDF kind of come out and started, you know, the Clarities and, you know, the different companies like Nozomi have kind of come out of research project uh, out of Italy. Um, so all the people come out of national labs, you know, all this great talent base we've had worldwide in ICS. I'll just say this introduces a new country, a new region, um, which we hadn't thought about, which I'm really excited to represent and the talent pool that's there. So I really look forward to, to sharing the results of this journey here over the next uh, few months. Oh, super. I, I, I can't wait. I look forward to that too, uh, hearing, hearing more, more about that. That's, you know, for me, that's, uh, uh, to use your word earlier, I have great empathy and, and for, uh, for, for the role you're going to be in after spending 20 years or so in similar roles. Uh, and it can be yeah. uh, super exciting. Obviously, it can come with some some challenges too, but I always felt they were they were worth it because it's uh, it, it's exciting work to to sort of forge forge ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting because like you know, heading up heading up, I was I'm honored to kind of head up this company. I think it's a synthesis of a lot of things I've done, which has been I've been a lot of a lot of different sides of the business from doing the product development to you know doing the sales to defining the partnerships, defining the strategy, and the ability to execute the strategy and you know and kind of build everything together and go at this kind of formula of how we look in the verticals in the space and where we solve problems and where the technology fit is is the right fit right in some areas it's not going to be in some areas it's going to be a little too much and and so some areas it's going to be just the right thing so but i think it's a problem we need to solve as an industry and i think for the for your for your viewers and readers essentially they're we're all drawn to hard problems to solve and sometimes we start things 10 years ago and come back and say, you know, hey, if I, if I had the ability to go solve that problem at a different time and a different technology, I would do it again. Right? And so it's nice to always have those ideas percolating that you have the ability sometimes to come back to. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, I look forward to, to, to peeling back some more of that onion layer when you're ready. So let's think about this, you know, sort of a really interesting career story arc. Um, any advice you would give, go back and, you know, give your younger self or, or and or give give people today maybe at, at earlier stage in their career where they have a lot of choice still about things they may or may not spend their time or, or energy on? Yeah, I would definitely say to, to, to my younger self, I, I would just say, you know, it'd be way more patient. I think, <laughs> I think just in general to, you know, to, to continue the passion, right? I think that, as I said, going back to my first job, it was like, I wanted to be a chef because like I wanted to eat to like add some primal need. And like, I want to do it, learn everything I possibly could learn it now. And so I think that's been a continued arc I've had in, in ICS as well. Like, look how to look at all these problems and go <laughs> look at the, 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 the technology, the market, all this, and you look at all these different vertical challenges. But kind of be, being a little more patient on that journey uh, is good. And essentially, as I said, the more taking a step back and the, I talk about having empathy, right? But the, the, then again, the other portion of it, you get into major disagreements and fights with people sometimes. I mean, you, you're in the middle of this fight with somebody because you think you're right, you think they're right. And you know what? They wind up being your best friends. And so the ability to kind of argue constructively you know, around a problem, you know, be it like, hey, what's the difference in ICS IoT, right? Like, hey, we're going to fight for our own point of views, but those people have those discussions with, you know, are some of the people I respect the most. And to just know that, you know, to find that middle ground quicker, you know, <laughs> versus being so dogmatic about your point of view, I think is really critical. And oh. so, so, I, so I think, you know, being able to make that argument more efficient <laughs> within yourself and, 
it, it, it also put in a framework, right? Say, if we can't agree with something, you know, let, let's find a logical framework that allows us to kind of put this in a strategy or something, which you, you're going to have your point, I'm going to have my point, and we're going to see how it congeals. And if we can't agree, let's get somebody to mediate, right? And, you know, nine times out of ten, it's not a boss that can do that. You know, so you, you need coaching, you need outside help or something, you know, to, to go do that. And, and so to realize that, a lot of times as employees, we think our managers have that ability to resolve those problems. A lot of times they don't. <laughs> so it's important to have you know, other mentors and leaders around you that, that can help with that and give you some guidance. Well, I think that you just touched on uh, some some pretty gold golden advice there. I always uh, joke that everyone in these sessions has a gold nugget or two. I think that was one of them. You know, that's easier said than done. It's a whole discipline. It's a mindset. But but it's brilliant, and it's certainly for people who are like how how do I become indispensable and and have upper mobility and potentially more interesting uh, you know job positions mastering the skill area that you just talked about uh, you know use word empathy earlier on and really you know building a bridge and saying okay you've got your view I've got mine and how can we find common understanding even the desire to do that is unfortunately missing in some people and they're they're yeah. uh, they find themselves frustrated with other people in the same company we see dysfunction between units of companies uh, that are trying to solve security in these areas. And that's not the way forward. Dysfunction won't be, it'll be more, the, it'll be the bridge building you're talking about. It's like, okay, let's get together. It doesn't mean I have to cave. It doesn't mean my viewpoint doesn't have merit, but we do need to find our common ground uh, and, and understand each other's uh, constraints and opportunities. Completely, completely. And I think we're, a, a lot of us in this industry are all kind of driven this way. <laughs> and that is a unique, you know, personality attribute I think we have that, you know, that it gives us an ability to, to really effectively communicate and respect each other's opinions. Well, that's awesome. Any any um, role, of, like, I'm always curious if mentorship, um, giving or receiving has played a role in your in that career path? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, in, in kind of receiving, I had a you know a, a very uh, uh, some a very important person in my life who I uh, <laughs> interviewed about 25 years ago to be my boss, and and, and I was such an ass in the interview that uh, I'm surprised that, uh, when I went to work for him that he's still nice to me. <laughs> but you know, I, I just thought I'll walk and do your job, and then I realized like he was so much smarter than me, and so much I learned from him, you know, professionally. And, and essentially that gave me still some of my good advice. And so I, I've had a few people that have been very impactful in my life. And, and essentially I, I try to kind of take the people that have worked for me in various capacities. And I think I've been, I've been fortunate where I've had, you know, kind of run sales teams, I've kind of run marketing, I've run your know, product and a, very, a lot of different people. But the, the consistent mentorship I always try to give, kind of give them is thinking of their skill set first and how that grows and how that fits into the company's objectives. And just you know, getting to know them as, as human beings, and and just really you know, try to kind of push them, and just say, you know, I think you can do better in this, this, and this. But also, this is what I feel is good for your career and long-term growth. You know, and beyond just this individual task in front of us. And so, you know, be that employees, or be it other people I've talked to that I've, I've seen, you know, uh, mentored some some really good talent coming up in the ICS space. And you know, I, I try to encourage them to have this empathy. I encourage them to try to you know, solve problems that are outside themselves, right? So if, 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 I'm, talk, if I'm talking to somebody in, say, healthcare, right, that, that I'm kind of mentoring and say, hey, I'm struggling with how we do medical devices and some of the things here, it's like, well, hey, there's a lot you can kind of learn from how we deal with things in manufacturing. So you know, the cross-vertical polarization of this industry, as I've kind of talked about, and how we kind of learn from the other approaches outside our own disciplines. Yeah. In the same way I talked 
I'm learning, you know, learning from you know the different functions of the company, but learning from the other verticals and similar challenges of the space is always something I try to push people towards, right? If you're an ICS guy, go sit in a medical device seminar for a day <laughs> and understand how you know what a tight grip their manufacturers have on their certification of devices, and like what lessons can you share with that person that would be beneficial? And so that, that's the kind of thing I always kind of try to do. Uh, uh, you know, and, yeah, that, that's another uh, that's another really good share there, um, and and I can tell. I mean, sort of, I, I in my head, I'm having this dialogue with you, but it's like not going. Empathy would mean not going to those and saying, "Oh, this is how they do medical devices." Okay, we're going to go back. We're going to do this in wastewater. No, that's not what you said. Go over there and listen, and say, "Wow, we've got some interesting um, common common maybe some common issues, but some different approaches." And then there are some differences, but maybe there's something we could take back. Uh, yeah. to, to our vertical from yours. I mean, you guys, you know, have maybe a higher standard you have to meet in the medical device, and maybe we don't have to meet that same standard, but oh my gosh, what a cool discipline in the way you do that. We, if we could come back and maybe we can use some piece of that, we can take inspiration for sure from the other verticals. If not, if not borrow wholesale some some pieces of people, process, and technology uh, that, that, you know, that may be working well somewhere else. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's a great, those two, two, two worlds are really interesting together because, you know, we think of things like dual home NIC, you know, NIC cards and you know, kind of bridging the IT and OT network, right? Things we tossed out years ago in, in ICS. Things are still doing in medical today, which essentially we've had our problem how, you know, how we approach to solve that. And so, uh, and then as I said, the manufacturer involvement, I mean, it's, those, those two are really good parallels, I think, for, for learning and kind of uh, cross-training <laughs> teams. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's just a, just a good example, but uh, there's plenty of other, other things I can kind of think of there. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, David, this comes to the part of the show where one of my favorite parts where I get to borrow from a show I enjoyed for many, many years called Inside the Actor's Studio. And the host uh, was on, I think it might still be on the air. James Lipton, the longtime host, passed in recent years. Um, and he interviewed for decades all of the greatest actors and actresses on the stage. And he always ended the show with what he called the Pivot Questionnaire. When I looked into it, it was borrowed from a French show. So this might be 50 years that these exact same 10 questions have been used now. And you know, who knew, who, I don't know who else has used it, but I'm sort of done, uh, tipping my hat to those shows and uh, I would like to, uh, if you want to, take you through the 10, 10 questions. Oh, absolutely. He's Lipton fan. I watched uh, at least 50 episodes. <laughs> they, I think I'm somewhere somewhere between 50 and 100 episodes over the years. I mean, I think it's syndicated in over 100 countries and ran for with him as the host for, I don't want to say 30 years or something like that. So yeah, right. there's a lot of episodes of amazing interview, uh, interviewing. All right, well, if you're ready, let's go. What is your favorite go. word? <laughs> favorite word is adrenaline or flow, right? Something in there where you kind of, do, you're doing things without thinking about it. You're on a roll and you just, you, you don't even feel what you're doing. And I think flow is kind of the right word for it because you're just doing things subconsciously in creating. So there's nothing better. Uh, then, then that word and that feeling. What is your least favorite word? <laughs> Routine. <laughs> what? Routine is something to be challenged. Routine is something to be analyzed and made better. So, <laughs> so what? routine is something to be crazy. What turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? <laughs> what turns me on is I, I mean, we we promise we get back to that as music. You know, I think music music solves so many problems in life, and the way you think through it, the way it makes you feel, 
the way it makes you think. And so there, there's nothing better to have the creative do and emotional and spiritual juices flow than uh, than playing, singing, writing, all the above. Number one. What turns you off? What, what, what turns me off? Routine. <laughs> doing the same thing multiple times and expecting a different result you know and, and, and not you know routine and not learning right not improving a routine not you know not improving a process yeah in any form it is, it is in a similar fashion to me and what is your favorite curse word fuck that, that is the most popular, I believe. I haven't done a poll yet of adding all the answers up, but I think that's a winner. What it has to be, no, it's a, I think it's Al Pacino who, who did that. You know, a very, Al Pacino being one of my favorite actors. Once he saw that, I said, okay, from that on, then that's my favorite curse word. <laughs> so that, that has some, some predisposed bias. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? <laughs> the, the, the sound of, of polyrhythmic drumming. Right, of, of multiple beats going on that, that make you feel different things at the same time. It's kind of like the, the flow of having, you know, you being kind of in the zone and not knowing it, be it through running or your own thoughts or wherever. But polyrhythmic drumming that has multiple rhythms that make you feel simultaneous emotions at the same time. So it's not a one word answer, but it's a multi it's, it's a polyrhythmic answer. <laughs> okay, so what sound or noise do you hate? I hate typing. The sound of typing drives me crazy. So how blast in technology this long <laughs> in computers? I have no idea. But so that's a good thing we have headphones. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attend? Well, I still I still want to go back and perfect the chef thing. You know, I, I definitely want to, you know, I've tried it and then you realize how, you know, how tough it is and just how the, the art, the, the art and the science of it. You know, uh, uh, kind of as we've gotten into food more and kind of understand the science of things and like being able to memorize that and the engineering concepts behind that, but also the creativity of being able to, you know, do a very fine spaghetti sauce and being able to instinctively understand the ingredients by taste alone. You know, those two, the, the, the synthesis of those two is still just fascinating to me. And the same way the music is, it's, it's a science and an art. Anything that, that derives on both those things and, and their syncretism that is, uh, you know, fascinating to me and will always will be. Uh, what profession would you like to not do? <laughs> Something with routine. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's a tough one. I'd say, it, 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 I always think of, I think it was uh, Shirley McLean in the apartment in Jack London where you know, they were kind of, uh, or it's around the movie theme here where there's this giant room and, and it was in Brazil too, the movie, this giant room with like accounts and, and calculators like typing out and doing the accounts receivable all day, right? Like that, that big room and hearing all the typing and doing that routine all day, that would drive me crazy. So that's fortunately, fortunately something that uh, technology has uh, <laughs> <is> made archaic, <laughs> which is a good thing. And last, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Something in between, you did the best you, best you could with what you had. And you know, you you kind of you live by the prime commandment, which judge not lest you be judged. And so I think I think judgment is always a thing as as we look at what we've learned as human beings and and how we've judged before and have learned not to judge and and to kind of you know be careful in our criticism and understanding. That's kind of the, the one commandment I try to live by the most. Sage advice and a, a great finish. 
I'm just wrapping up with uh, David Hatchell. He's the founder and principal of Industrial Cybersecure Consultancy in the IoT ICS cybersecurity space, but he's also soon to announce the CEO ship of a, a new company in the ICS IoT cybersecurity space. We're all excited to hear more details about that. David, thank you for not only coming on the show and, and preparing with me to, to do it, but uh, everything you do in the industry and uh, and some of your uh, great uh, wisdom shares you you uh, you've shared with us today. Thanks a lot, Derek. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited about, about the journey you're taking with your members and, and, and something we can all do better to, to get involved in and help foster this community and the great success we'll continue to have. So thank you for all that you've done as well uh, for the community. Awesome. Well, take care and be well, and I'll uh, I'll see you hopefully uh, live in person at, at a conference soon, Dave. I'm looking forward to it. Come back to California. <laughs> Will do. I plan to. Take care. Okay.